Welcome to Faith Sermons and Studies with Pastor Joe DeVitro. God is sovereign, is he not? And if he's sovereign with those details in life, he's sovereign with Christians in Afghanistan going into the police and being told they've been watched for three years, quit, quit preaching the gospel, and what's he do? Just turns around and gives them the gospel right there. I mean, you know what? That's what's going on in our world right now. God is real. God is here. Where two or three are gathered in my name, what? There am I in the midst of them. And you know what? That should give us hope. As Christians, that gives us hope. Uh, the fact that God is sovereign gives us hope. And this morning, I want you to go in your Bible to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13. And um, we've been looking at the Olivet Discourse of Jesus Christ. We've been studying through... The, we've taken the phrase, are we in the days of Noah? Just like in the days of Noah, so will it be when the Son of Man comes. And we're taking that phrase, days of Noah. We looked at the time of Noah. We've looked at the tribulation. We looked at the rapture a little bit. We've talked about these things. But this morning, what I want to talk about is what gives us, as Christians, hope. You realize the elements are in front of us today, right? How many religions of the world are taking Lord's Supper on Sundays? A lot of them. A lot of them do. And you know what? Every time the Lord's table is presented to somebody or every time the Eucharist is given or every time uh, communion is given or Lord's table or whatever they call it, you know what that shows? It shows the Lord's return until he comes. How often are you supposed to do it? As often as you eat the bread and drink the cup of the Lord, you show his death until he what? Until he comes. You know what? That's good news for us because how many religions of the world are still doing that? So when I look at what's going on in our world, even in our ignorance sometimes, we can see God with his sense of humor, I think. I think God has a sense of humor. And I think he allows man in what he thinks is wise to himself. God counts that as foolish. And he does his own substitution of his desire to happen, his declaration of his truth to come forth, even when people don't realize that's what they're doing. How about Balaam? Is he not the class quintessential picture of this truth being told? You got one job, curse Israel. What's he do? He blesses Israel. All right, maybe you didn't understand the assignment, okay? Curse Israel. What's he do? Blesses Israel. Finally, the guy swears at him this time. He's like, if you bless Israel one more time... And what's Balaam go and do? Blesses Israel one more time. And every time he meant for evil, God meant it unto... Man, where did we hear that phrase before? How about Joseph? What you guys meant for evil unto me, God meant it unto good as it is this day to what? Save much people alive. And you know what? The story of the Bible is God's desire, even though man's working against him in many ways... It's God's desire to get his truth to mankind so that those who will receive the truth can have hope. You know what? Today as Christians, we are the most hopeful people in the world. And when I use the word hope, I'm not saying, well, I hope that something happens. No, we know that certain things are going to happen in the future. We know the world is going to get worse in many ways before it's ever going to get better. We know there are certain events on the timeline of God that are going to happen in the future that we can go to the bank with and say, we know this is going to happen. 
Now join me in Mark chapter 13, and let's just briefly read through uh, this passage of scripture here. I'm going to read it. You can follow along. It says, Mark 13, I'm going to start at verse 24, read to verse 37. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers of the heaven will be shaken. And they will see the son of man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn the lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. How do we know fall is here? The leaves are what? Changing colors. And all the colors and the leaves are falling off and the wind is blowing. And we know that it's fall because, well, we see what's going on around us. Summer is near. Verse 29. So also when you see these things taking place, know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but, the Father, but only the Father. So be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, say it together, stay, or watch, stay awake, right? Be on guard. And uh, this is the message that we read in Matthew. This is the message we read in Mark. This is the message we read in Luke, the Olivet Discourse. And as we've been studying these passages out, I want to take us back in time a little bit and help us to understand why there is so much confusion when it comes to what the Bible teaches or calls our blessed hope, the return of Jesus Christ. First in the clouds to rapture his church. Second of all, on the earth to bring in his kingdom, right? We talked about the difference between the rapture last week and the second coming last week. And uh, if you missed that, go back and watch the video on that. You'll be able to to work that out. But, in the, but why is there such confusion today when it comes to the idea of the rapture? And why is there so much confusion today when it comes to this idea of this, the return of Jesus Christ? Why is there confusion? Well, we got to go back in history a little bit. And I mentioned this back when we first started this series about the days of Noah. I mentioned that there was a guy named Miller. Do you remember him? William Miller. William Miller was a Baptist pastor, okay, who spent an entire year studying the return of Jesus Christ. He wanted to know, he wanted to figure out when the day was going to come that Jesus Christ was going to return. And he sat down and he figured out this math equation and he came to a conclusion that Jesus Christ was going to return and he gives a specific date for this. Now, I think we could have all saved them all a little bit of trouble by letting him know what? No man knows the day or the hour in which Jesus will return. However, Miller first predicted, okay, that Jesus Christ will return on March 21st, 1842. How do you think he did? Not very good. 
Because on that day, his followers gather together, and guess what happens? Nothing. So Mr. Miller recalculates his time, his, his theory, his discovery of Scripture. He recalculates his dates, and this time he decides that he made a mistake. And he revises the date to April 2nd, 1843. I think he's only a day off, don't you? I think April 1st might have been a better date to pick. Because on that day, it's April what? April Fool's Day. This time, however, William Miller had gathered 3,500 followers to the place in which he pastored in Boston, Massachusetts. And guess what happened? Nothing happened. Jesus Christ did not return. And now the Millerites, as they were called, the followers of Miller... Anybody know what two denominations or what two cults today come from the Millerites? This is why knowing history is important. This is why knowing where denominations and religions come from are important. Mr. Miller, a Baptist pastor who founded the Seventh-day Adventist movement, he also founded or is a key founder of the Jehovah Witness movement. A Baptist pastor founded the Seventh-day Adventist and helped start the Jehovah Witness movement. A guy who was being sincere, who was preaching the gospel, thought he had the truth right, got caught up on an issue and began to predict when Jesus Christ would return only to be proven over and over and over again wrong. And you would think after the second time, after the followers that are jammed in the Boston Advent Temple on April 2nd, 1843, over 3,500 people gather in Boston, Massachusetts to wait for Jesus Christ to come back and he doesn't come back. You would think that would be the end of it, right? But guess what? It's not the end. Rather than having it dissolve and shut down, it continues to grow and Miller decides to recalculate his dates yet again. This time, he's got it right. And we are living in the month he got it right. Or not. The date is October 22nd, 1844. On April, or uh, I'm sorry, on, uh, yeah, I got the date wrong. Sorry, April 18th, 1844. He sets a new date. And this time, the Messiah is going to show up on that date. And again, frustration comes. And then finally, now, on October 22nd, 1844, he sets his fourth and final date for Jesus Christ to come back. It has to happen on this date or I am not accurate as a pastor. This is what it takes for him to get to that point. Four times. This time he publishes it in the Millerite publication, The True Midnight Cry. He sends it out across the United States and surprisingly this date rallies the followers all one more time. Like Miller was a little off, but this, time, this has got to be it, right? Third time's usually the charm, but fourth time has to be. Nobody's that dumb, right? Predict it four times and miss? 
They begin to spread the news. They, they hand out the date. They give out brochures on the second coming of Jesus Christ. And with enthusiasm, they're going across the United States, sharing with churches and people to accept the message that Jesus Christ is coming again on October 22nd, 1844. And if you don't believe this, then your church and your people are agents of Satan and you are Babylon. Wow. Man, it's good stuff. Sounds good. They got passion. The message they give out. The mainline religious groups, thousands of people. Guess what happens? They follow them. He begins to pull from all the different denominations and, and they're coming and they're listening because of his publications. By the way, who's still known for their publications? Guess what the midnight cry turned into? Ever hear a watchtower? This is the founding of where the Jehovah Witness movement comes from. The publications they use and, and the tactics in which they use. Okay? Despite the opposition of many mainline groups, thousands of people, including pastors, began to defect to the Millerite cult. A doomsday approach. The Millerites began to prepare uh, pamphlets called the fields were left unharvested. They convinced people to close their shops, quit their jobs, paid their debts, gave away all their possessions. Huge press runs of publications like The Midnight Cry and The Time is Short. Prepare to meet God. The Lord is coming. You know what they called them? Tracks. William Miller himself began peddling white ascension robes. You could buy your own ascension robe and be ready for Jesus Christ to return on October 22nd, 1844. Remember, what denomination did he start at? Baptist. How? William, Bill, buddy, what happened? Mr. Miller. As we all know, the second coming of Jesus Christ did not occur on October 22nd, 1844. In fact... The ones that heeded the message of Miller ended up bankrupt, poor, and they had to commune together even to survive. And out of this movement of Miller and his false prophecy came the Jehovah Witnesses and the Seventh-day Adventist. These two movements today that we still are dealing with were founded because one guy took scripture out of context, didn't read the text, if he would have just simply read, I mean, how many times does it say, no man knows the day or the hour, not even the Son of Man? How many times? Three different times. Matthew says it. Mark says it. Luke says it. All of them in the Olivet Discourse. Had he just read the scripture and heeded it, it would save us a lot of trouble in our world today, wouldn't it? But one thing we can't fault Miller on is this. He was looking forward to Jesus returning. He was looking forward to Jesus returning. And the question this morning for the church is, are we? Are we excited about the fact that Jesus can return at any minute? Would you be willing, if you knew that Jesus was going to return this Friday, would you sell everything you had and go evangelize everybody that you knew and tell them that Jesus Christ was coming on Friday? 
So I can't fault the Millerites for listening to a guy who made his career in teaching the Bible, and especially in his time period, you know, they couldn't turn on the evening news, or they didn't turn on the Sunday morning gospel hour uh, piped in on the TV from wherever in the world. They're in small communities. They're, they're, in, they're in regional sections, and Miller's got an audience in Boston. And the, the Bostonians then take that message, and they go out with it. And 3,500 people join him at his church on the day of October 22nd, 1844 with the hope of what? The hope of Jesus coming back. Now you would think, well, that was 1844. That was a while back. That doesn't happen in our modern area, does it? Well, we got to be careful how we look at things here because not that long ago here, in the United, or not in the United States, but in South Korea. There's another guy. And his picture um, looks kind of normal, like what you would see in some churches today. You got raised hands, you got people moving about, you got people singing and, and praising the Lord, preaching being done. And in South Korea, on November 2nd, 1992, at the Mission for Coming Days Church, they proclaimed that Jesus Christ was going to return. And the people sold their goods, they gave away their home, and uh, the Korean church founder, the next day, was put in jail. He was put in jail because he had convinced people to sell their homes, quit their employment, give away all their money, all their resources, because Christ's imminent return was going to be on October 29th, 1992. And on November 2nd, he was convicted of deceiving his fellow countrymen from their goods. Meanwhile, this pastor, Lee Jang Rim, was stealing from his own people. But not only that, but had they looked at his own bank accounts, they would have seen that he had $357,000 in our money, that we're going to mature in CDs the next year. Now, if he was so convinced Jesus Christ was coming back, why is he investing in the future after the return of Christ? As Aaron read this morning, even so many antichrists are already here. Why am I sharing these examples? Well, I used a Baptist pastor because there are corrupt Baptist pastors teaching false theology today. And you know what? William Miller's an antichrist. Anybody who denies what true teaching of God's word is, is working against who? Let's go back to the Garden of Eden. You say, well, if they're a little off, that's okay, right? I mean, we all basically believe the same thing. Let's go back to the first lie. Can we do that? Do you remember the first lie? What was it? It was Lucifer quoting who? He's quoting God. And does he quote God accurately or inaccurately? He does it inaccurately with motive. As things came to fruition, both William Miller, who actually recanted all of his teaching, he actually recanted all of his teaching, but the problem was what? The cat's out of the bag. Other people took it. Other people believed it. And as he walked away from what he perceived was error, others took it as truth. And they began to run with truth that they firmly and sincerely believed, but it was built on what? 
error. And now an antichrist deceived them. They believed the lie. And now here are these people who were in that church on that day. This is not the service that was in. Just a picture of Lee leading a service or leading a Bible study, actually. But here's a picture of false teachers, even in our own time period, deceiving people. And John tells us, even today, many antichrists are already here. So as we study the things that we're going to look at here, there are people out there that are going to disagree with what the Bible actually says and actually teaches. I mean, it's like right there in black and white. No man knows what? The day, the time, or the hour. So when we set a date, what are we saying? We know more than? Well, I only know one person that really had that mindset. That they knew more than God and could be God themselves. And he is the father of lies, and his name is what? So as Christians, we have to be on guard. We have to be watching. We have to be alert. We can't be asleep at the wheel. And I hate to say it, American churches today are asleep at the wheel. You realize we have a Jehovah Witness church in our own town. How many of you knew who William Miller was before today? That's how false teaching happens. We don't know where denominations come from. We don't know why they were founded. And believe you me, we could go back and we could just trace church history and show you where all the denominations come from. It's very clear. Most of the denominations in our own town don't go back in history very far. This one goes to 1844. Another one in our town only goes back to 1904. Another one in our town only goes back to the early 1900s. And we could go through and we could look at the church histories and point out, here's the doctrine where they got it wrong. Here's where they, they erred from the truth. And the funny part is, poor Miller, I felt bad for this guy. He wasn't accepted in the Baptist world, right? He wasn't accepted in the Jehovah Witness world, right? Well, they didn't exist yet. He's the father of it. And by the way, you'll be hard-pressed to find Miller's name in modern Jehovah Witness writings. You know why? He recanted. He said, this is wrong. I was wrong. Don't follow this. So he is mentioned in their history, and if you look hard enough, you'll find him. He is there. But the Seventh-day Adventists trace their, their, their worship style, their doctrine, all, all of what they're about to this man. Well, not this man, the other man, Williams, William Miller. Why do I share this with you? I share this with you because, number one, do you think they were sincere? The second guy, I, I don't know, with a CD, that, that's kind of a little. But they were definitely passionate. Did they know a little bit of Scripture? Yeah, they knew Scripture. Did, did they think they were doing God's work? Yeah, they thought they were doing God's work. But when it proved to be wrong, what did they do? Did they repent or did they double down? And that shows us motive. That shows us motive. Remember, why are we so hard on Peter as a follower of Christ? He didn't deny the Lord once. What did he do? Three times. Kind of hard on. Aren't we kind of hard on Thomas? Right? You remember Thomas? He had one request, and I, I think it's a logical request. I mean, if Jesus really is alive. I haven't seen him yet. I'm not going to believe until I stick my finger in his hands and my hand in his side. Then I'll believe. And what does Jesus say? Here you go, Thomas. Go for it. Try convincing Thomas Jesus wasn't alive. There was no doubt about it after that for him. But for all of history, he's known as what Thomas? 
Doubting Thomas, right? I share this because as Christians, we know that in the history of time, every generation that has ever lived said what? The return of Jesus Christ is going to be in my lifetime. And for generations, what's been wrong? That prediction. But let me ask you a question. Is Jesus Christ coming back? Is he coming back on the day in which he is chosen? He's going to come back. Well, the Father chose it, right? I actually believe the Son knows the day and the hour today. I believe he limited himself when he was on earth as a human, did not divulge that day, because if we knew the date, what would we do? We're going to live the life of whatever we want to do until when? The last minute. Why doesn't God let you know what day you're going to die? Why doesn't he tell you what decade you're going to die in? Because you've got to live every day intentionally expecting what? This could be my... Now, if we do that with life, why don't we do it with eternal life? If we know the return of Jesus Christ is imminent, it could be at any time, and there's nothing holding his return back, then why don't we live like he could come back today? You know why? Because we bought the lie that these false teachers have also taught. And that is, well, it hasn't happened in their lifetime. It didn't happen when they predicted it. And it's not going to happen when I think it's going to happen. However, what's the lesson of the fig tree? Remember the lesson of the fig tree. Jesus said it very dogmatically in sharing it. And it's, it's recorded in all three of the Olivet Discourse passages. Look at the fig tree. And when you see leaves and buds on a fig tree, what season do you know it is? It's spring. And in spring, what happens? Things come back to life. Things grow. Things change. And when you see things changing in your world in such a systematic way that the Bible does agree with, know this. You don't know the day or the hour. But he's going to come back like what? We're given another illustration. We're gonna, he's going to come back as a master who goes on a trip. Is Jesus our master? Is he on a trip right now? Where is he at? Not like on a trip drug-wise, okay? Not saying that. But is he gone somewhere to do something on our behalf? He said, if I go away, I go and prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, when I'm finished, I will come again to receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. You know what that tells me? Number one, Christ is coming again. The fact that we're going to take communion today tells me Christ is going to come back again. Verses 24 through 27 of our text tells us Jesus Christ is going to come back again. The disciples had been a little confused and about the destruction of the temple, when the end of the world is going to be, and Christ sets them straight and tells them that, that Christ's coming and the day of judgment are going to be after the tribulation. After the tribulation takes place. He gives them prophecy of... He gives them prophecy here of the disillusion of the very components of the world, how the world's going to be deconstructed. He then gives them and tells them the appearance that he's going to have in the clouds and gather his believers together. Now, if we try to go again in timeline here, 
form, as we look at this, we're going to get doctrinal error, aren't we? Because when does the Lord come in the clouds? Rapture or second coming? Rapture. When is the tribulation? Before the rapture or after the rapture? It's after the rapture. And when is the second coming of Jesus Christ? When he comes to establish his kingdom on the earth and he gathers all the nations of the world together in one place and he comes down and sets up his, king, his kingdom in Jerusalem. When does that happen? After the tribulation, the millennial reign of Christ. So if we look at this, it's all backwards. You would get it all backwards if you're going in, in chronological order, but that's not what was asked. What was asked was, when is the end going to be? What are the signs of the end times going to be? And what's it going to look like before you come? Well, what's the answer last? What it's going to look like before he comes. Consider the fig tree. Consider the master being gone on, vac on vacation and coming back when nobody knows the day and the hour in which it's going to happen. So here Jesus is trying to describe to his followers here, his believers, his disciples specifically, exactly what the time period of his coming is going to be. I also want you to notice there's a difference between prophecy and guesswork. Okay? There's a difference between the prophetic truth of God's word and people's guesswork. Prophecy is always truth foretold in the past that will come forth or come to fruition in the future. Guesswork is when you predict something in the past and, well, it never happens. Or, or it happens in a different way than was prophesied, right? And those we know of as false teachers. You see, Jesus gives us prophecy, and the prophecy has motivation. It has hope. There's hope in the prophecy that Jesus Christ gives. He says, if I go away, I'm going to come again. Now, has Jesus gone away yet at this point? No. He's still here in earthly form. He's talking to his disciples. He's on the Mount of Olives looking across at the temple that's going to be destroyed in AD 70. Now, has the temple been destroyed? Anybody been to Israel? Anybody been to Jerusalem? Right? We've all seen the pictures though, right? Is there a temple over there today? No. It's, it's been dismantled. When was it destroyed? What year? AD 70. We all know that, right? Do the Israelites want to rebuild the temple right now? Absolutely. And if you didn't see Ben Shapiro's article I posted on our Facebook page, I challenge you to go back and watch it. Because the Jews today believe if they resurrect that temple, all the religions of the world will come there and worship the true God. They believe that if they build that temple, there will be peace on earth for a time period. Imagine that. What's the first three and a half years of the tribulation all about? Peace and harmony on earth. And at a time when it looks like there's world peace and all the world religions are coming together and everybody's living in harmony, be careful because who shows up? The Antichrist, he commits the abomination of desolation where? In the temple on what? The altar of God. And then when the Jews see that, what happens? Matthew 25. The description of what you read in Matthew 25 is what happens when that day occurs. When you see the abomination of desolation, pray that it's not in the winter. Pray that you're not pregnant. Pray that you're not out in the field. Pray that you're not, it's not winter. Pray that there's food. Pray that, pray that the weather's not, I mean, all these things the Bible tells us, be, pray that these things aren't happening when this event takes place. Why do you think Jesus just doesn't come forth and just throw out a date to us? Why don't you just tell us, the world has 1,048 years left to live? Because we would do whatever we want. 
We wouldn't glorify him as God. We wouldn't live a life in intentionality knowing that. How do I know that? He said, where two or three gathered, there am I in the midst. Don't forsake the assembly of yourselves together as a manner as some already is. He's talking first generation Hebrew Christians thinking church wasn't important, thinking community wasn't important. How are we doing in 2022 on the same lesson? And we got the church visible with us. Imagine a date in the future. How much worse would Christians be? How much more would we presume on God? And you know what? He's left us signs. He's left us communion. This do as often as you eat and drink in memory of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup of the Lord, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. We do this because we know Jesus Christ is coming again. It's a declaration. Why are Muslim people in Afghanistan, in Kazakhstan, in Tajikistan, and all these other countries over there in the 1040 window, why are they coming to Jesus Christ from Islam if Islam is true? Why are they doing it? Because you know what? God promised that his word would never what? Return void. And we got people going into those countries, sharing the faith, establishing Bible colleges, establishing seminaries, even though the Taliban is there ruling and reigning. And guess what? People are getting saved. Imagine that. But in America, the gospel doesn't work anymore. You know why it doesn't work? Who's sharing it? If, if people like William Miller are sharing the gospel and it comes up wanting... It comes up short. It comes up leaving people in despair. What are the odds they're going to follow it? But if it is really the word of God, it's quick and powerful and sharp as a two-edged sword, who's going to believe that? The problem is many Christians say don't believe. Many people who profess Christ today don't have hope in the second coming of Christ. They, we give lip service to it, but our lives don't declare it. A double-minded man is unstable in how many ways? What's all mean? This is why there is a shallow, anemic, powerless Christianity that can't even convince church people to show up. Post-COVID, 40% of church members left church across all denominations. Some of the largest mega churches of our time right now are showing 50% losses in attendance and giving. Why is that? If our God is so able and he, he cured COVID, how many of us prayed that COVID would go away? Did COVID go away? Yeah? Did it ever exist in the first place? I don't know. But are we on the other side of the political medical crisis that occurred in our time period? Did God not provide a way of escape for you? Did God not provide for you financially when jobs were all crazy and money's all crazy and the economy's falling apart? Was God not able to bring you through that time period? Then where's our worship? Where's our praise? Where's our love and adoration for God? You know what? Most people didn't depend on the Lord during that time. They depended on the government. They depended on doctors. They depended on everybody else but God. And now they're on the other side. And who are they thanking? Well, I just praise God for Trump during that time period. He just, he saved. I praise the Lord for the doctors. I praise God for Pfizer. I, how about we just praise God? Praise God from whom all 
Are you blessed? I'm pretty sure Satan hasn't blessed you lately. I'm pretty sure none of the demons are out there like, we should go bless the churches today. We should just do that. No, God is blessing us with immeasurable blessings. And, and he's given us hope. He's given us confidence. He's given us his word that has stood the test of time. Think about every other book that's ever been translated. How messed up are they? And yet the Bible for thousands of years has been accurate. We can still go back to two languages that have been preserved by being dead, Koine Greek and Mosaic Hebrew. And we can go back and find out the original meanings of words. We can find out the etymology of English words that we have today. We can translate into different languages because we have two languages that we know the definition of the words and the meaning of the words. Think about that. Think about how, how detailed God is. And yet he says what? Trust me. Trust me, and if you'll trust me, I'll bless you. And I'll do things for you that you can't even imagine. I'll give you hope. I'll give you hope. In a world in which there is no hope, there's a difference between the guesswork. But number three, the parable of the fig tree. Let's talk about that just a little bit. Because just like a tree shows signs of spring and summer is near, we are to look around and look at the signs that we see around us and understand the day and the hour in which we live. How many of you think we're living in a better time than 100 years ago? I think we are. Because here's the question, what are you measuring it by? If you're measuring it by the Great Commission, is there more gospel and more truth and more access to the Bible today than there was 100 years ago? So is it a better day or a worse day? You know what's worse about it? is the fact that we all have access to the Bible and churches and all this stuff, and our world is getting worse, not better. Think about that. Chew on that. You realize in the last hundred years, we have fought more wars and killed more people in wars than all the generations in front of us? Think about that. We've been at constant war for the last hundred years, haven't we? World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, Iraq I, Iraq II, Afghanistan, Syria. I think I've missed a couple in there even. Wasn't there Ecuador? Yeah, War on Terror. I mean, uh, we, we've been fighting as a nation since almost our founding. Because we can go back to civil, civil War, Revolutionary War. I mean, these wars aren't that long ago. Go back 200 years. And our nation has been in constant war ever since we've been founded. You know what, if our hope is found in the Bible, we would understand that towards the end times, is there more war or less war? There's more. Is there bigger hurricanes or smaller hurricanes? More earthquakes or less earthquakes? Imagine an earthquake so powerful it flattens the world's mountains. That happens in the tribulation. That happens. The tectonic plates shift so bad and things are going so wrong with the earth that like, it, it totally destroys the mountain chains of the world, the, ge the topographical view of our planet. This is, this is how bad things get. And yet, we're, we got it so good. We have it so good. Our hope is foundational in belief that Jesus Christ's second coming will not be a mystery, 
but rather we'll have been ready for an extended period of time. Be watchful, be on guard, be alert, stay awake. Right? It's hard to stay awake during a message today, let alone a lifetime. John Wesley, ever heard of that guy? He was working in his garden one day when a neighbor came by to visit, and the neighbor attempted to kind of razz Wesley a little bit by saying, what should you be doing right now, Sir John? If you knew for certain that Jesus would return today, what would you be doing? John Wesley looked up at his neighbor and kind of ribbed him back, replying, well, I just keep doing what I'm doing. The neighbor's like, but that's not what you preach. He says, yes, but I'm going to live in such a way that Christ could return at any moment, and I'm going to be comfortable with how I've been serving him to this moment. In other words, I don't feel like I need to change or shift what I'm doing because I'm already living as if he were to what? Come back now. John was looking forward to the second coming of Christ. Paul looked forward to the second coming of Christ. So the question this morning, do we live in such a state of readiness if at any moment Christ were to return that we would be ready? We'd be watching. From the evidence that we have around us, just like that of a tree of summer, telling a summer, we are living in the days of Noah. We're living in the warning period of Noah's lifetime. Remember, Noah warned that rain was going to come. He warned that rain was going to come. How many people listened to him? A lot of people listened. How many got in the ark? They chose their way of lifestyle more than God's. And I wonder, as we get closer and closer to the return of Christ, because every year is a day closer, right? Every, every year is a time period closer. As we get closer and closer, I wonder how many of us will be watching. Remember when Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross, he told his disciples to do two things. Do you remember what he told them to do? What did he tell them to do? Watch and pray. And as Jesus went away, he began to pray himself. What happened to the disciples? They fell asleep. They didn't watch him pray. I wonder how much different we as the church are today from those disciples in that garden that night. Are we watching and praying? Well, let's take American churches right now. The most neglected service in almost every church in America today is which one? Which are, you say it out loud. Prayer service, right? Watch and pray. Two jobs. Do Christians pray today? Where's power found? What occupies the throne room of God? The prayer of the saints. So as we look at this, we got to understand that our job is really just twofold. It's to watch and to pray. It hasn't changed from what Jesus told his disciples that night in the garden in Gethsemane. Watch and pray. Church, watch and pray. Israel, watch and pray. And in all three circumstances, whether it was the disciples that night in the garden of Gethsemane, they failed. The church as a whole right now is what? We're failing in this category. We have to be honest. Israel in the future will what? They'll fail in this category. That's what the millennial reign is all about. Even under, perfect, under the perfect headship of Christ, man will still gravitate away. So at a time when you see the fig tree, at a time you see what's going on in the world, at a time you see what's going on in the church, at a time when you understand what the Bible teaches compared to the church and the world, understand the time that you're living in and then watch and pray.
How do we know that Christians aren't looking forward to the second coming of Christ? What are two things Christians don't do today? We're not watching and we're not praying. What is the hope then of the church? What is the purpose of the church then? You see, if you take away the, the, the prayer and the watching, the church has no purpose. You know what most millennials say, or what most young people today say about church? Those that are 40 and under? What's the point? They all proclaim they're right. They all think they're true. They all say they follow the Bible, but when you read the Bible, they don't follow what the Bible says. And none of them are excited to be there. So what's the point? You know what I think the problem is? We forgot the point. We as a church have missed the point. The point isn't that we're saved and we know we're going to heaven. The point is that you're watching, praying, and warning those that judgment's coming. But the problem is, as Christians, we, we, we hold fast to our eternal security. We hold fast to the promises of God. And we hold fast to all these things, and they're, and they're true. But we miss the whole reason you're here. Does God need people living perfect lives on earth to convince people that perf- living a perfect life is the best? No, because if you think you're living a perfect life, guess what? You're fooling yourself. God left us here to be what? Light. In darkness. If the world's getting darker, what does that do to light? The light shines brighter where it's darker. And as your light gets brighter in a dark world, as you see the world falling apart and going the direction you don't think it should go, then that means you need to go on mission all the more to warn people what direction it's going. If I knew today, if all of us knew today, that flight 1217 that leaves Minneapolis to go to Los Angeles today was going to be hijacked and flown into Washington, D.C. Would you do anything about it? Who would you tell? Who would you warn first? Would you go to the authorities or would you go to the ones that are going to get on the flight that have tickets? Would you try to do it over your phone or would you run down to Minneapolis real quick, stand outside the terminal, run into the terminal, try to get up to the gate, try to get in the airplane and grab the PA system and say, hey, this is going to happen today. Get off this plane right now. I watched a documentary on 9-11. Do you think if anybody in those towers and anybody in that Pentagon and anybody on those airplanes that day knew what was going to happen, do you think they would have got on those planes and gone to work that day? No. But you know what? No man knows the day or the hour. They all thought they were going to go home that afternoon. They all had stuff on their calendars they were going to do. They all had places they had to be and people they wanted to see. And people were waiting for them on the other end. And guess what happened that day? They never showed up. They never arrived. They never got there. Because in a moment and a twinkling of an eye, all their lives were taken away. And there's a day in which Jesus Christ is going to come back. And guess what's going to happen? In the moment of the twinkling of an eye, we'll be changed. But then what about those left behind? What about those who are going to remain? There are loved ones. There are our co-workers. There are friends. The time is coming for all men when they will either be born again or they'll wish they were never born at all. 
The Bible says during the tribulation there, that men will get to the place where they wish they were never born. Think about how bad that is. Think about how tremendously oppressive that is. So my prayer at the end time here, whether you're saved or unsaved, first of all, number one, if you're saved, my prayer for us today is that you're watching, praying, and warning. Watch, pray, and warn. But if you're unsaved here today, my prayer is that you would be saved. My prayer is that you'd be saved. You say, saved from what? Saved from the judgment that's coming. Saved from what the Bible tells us is going to happen as we get closer to the end of the world. And you say, Pastor Joe, well, when's the end going to be? I don't know. I don't know the day or the hour. I wish I could give you a date. But I can tell you this. A hundred years ago, the end of the world wasn't going to be close because guess what nation didn't exist? Israel. Guess who exists today? A hundred years ago, Israel didn't have an army. Guess what they have today? They have a very powerful army. A hundred years ago, man would have had a hard time really destroying themselves and, and, and making areas of the world uninhabitable. Today with nuclear technology, yeah, we're pretty good at that. We, we can do that. What's MAD? Anybody know what MAD is? Mutual Assured Destruction. That's the doctrine in which the world functions today. If somebody launches one nuclear missile, what happens? The entire arsenal goes the other way. That's MAD. And if they launch their whole arsenal, we're going to launch our whole. And this is what's going on. When Putin's talking about pointing weapons and pointing missiles and we're putting in missile defense systems and this is the posturing these are the wars and rumors of wars. When I look at the Bible, I look at the countries that are allied today. When would you ever think that China, Russia, Iran, Egypt, Libya, Syria, Turkey would be aligned the way they are? By the way, that's your Ezekiel 38, 39 group. So, so when we see these things, we know the end's not yet, but... We're living in, is the tree budding? Are the leaves changing? Are leaves falling off the trees? We know the season in which we live. A time where there's pestilence, famine, supply chain issues. Have you heard any of that stuff lately? I mean, all these things are predicted in God's word. All these things will come to pass, and it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. And as the rulers of the world come together, remember we read Psalm 2 last week? Do you remember that? As the rulers of the world come together and try to fix things, did you see them all at the UN? A couple weeks ago, did you see that there's going to be a G20 summit coming up and the rulers of the world come together to conspire together to fix things? The more they try to fix it, the more God what? The more God messes it up for them. And professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. So we are living in the time of the warning period of the days of Noah. But there is going to come a day in which God's going to seal the ark. What do we call that? The rapture. And those that are outside of the rapture are going to be left where? Outside the ark. And they will, they will perish just like those in the days of Noah. That's what we're, that's what we're living in. We're living in the time of warning so, do you have hope in Christ? That's the question. If you do have hope in Christ, then you're looking forward to his return, and you're going to gladly partake of what the elements that represent in front of us today, because we're going to show our faith until the Lord what? 
till he comes. But if we don't believe, we're going to struggle in this life. We're going to struggle with church. We're going to struggle with our spiritual relationship with God because we don't think in the end that he is really able to do what he says he's going to do. And at the core essence of where we live is this. Do we trust him or do we not? On the day of the rapture, there's only two groups of people. The ones that go and the ones who don't. Which group are you in? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you have warned us. I thank you that you have given us hope. I thank you that as Christians, we have before us all the things that we need for faith and godliness, Lord. And I thank you that you have shown yourself faithful in every generation to every people group at all times. And Father, you have been a God who wants people to know you. You're not like Allah who, who doesn't want to be known and who is not reachable and attainable. But God, you, you allowed your son to be made a little lower than the angels so that we could have access to you through Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray today if there's somebody here who is saved, they know you as their Savior, they have surrendered to your will, they have exchanged their will for your will, that Father, that they would be watching, they would be praying, and they would be warning of what's coming on. And Father, as we celebrate mission work this, this month in our church, as we celebrate Faith Promise Missions, as we celebrate what, what God you are doing around the world and in your churches today, I pray, Father, that we too can celebrate souls that are saved and people that are discipled because we've taken the truth to them. But Father, I also pray for those who don't know, for those who haven't heard, for those that are in Afghanistan, those that are in Turkmenistan, those that are in Ukraine who don't know you and are facing imminent death apart from Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray for those missionaries that they would share the gospel with those that need to hear and Father, I pray for the missionaries here in the United States, your church, that Father, we would be faithful in sharing and warning those of the coming judgment. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be able to rule and reign in our hearts in such a way that we watch, we pray, and we warn. And we're always ready to give an answer to those who need to hear the hope that's within us with meekness and fear. We don't hope that you're going to return. We know you're going to return. And that gives us hope. That gives us a reason to live. It gives us a mission to accomplish. And Father, help us to embrace that mission for your glory and for your will. All God's people said.